Hello and welcome to Live from Oldwar, a World of Warcraft community roleplay podcast hosted by myself. My name is Kitch Goldwatt, and happy episode 6! How are you doing today? I don't feel like I ever talked to my audience. How are you guys doing? Are you hydrated? Are you enjoying this summer? I know there's a heat wave in quite a few places, so I hope you're not boiling alive. I know that we've had quite a bit of rain here in the Midwest, but you know, here and there. We're small talking. This is small talk. We're small talking right now. It's great. Uh, there's no one coming to be interviewed today on the episode. Uh, I have real life family coming into town today, actually, uh, after I'm done with work. And I'd really like to spend as much time with them as I can. Uh, it's my sister and her, you know, soon to be fiance. I feel like they've been in a relationship for like 3 million years. Pop the question already, right? So they're coming into town and we're gonna hang out. We're gonna have a great time. We're doing a lot of fun stuff. And because of that, I really don't want to be spending so much time at my desk editing and it takes me a lot more time to edit an interview than it does to edit just myself talking um so i didn't want to do a disservice to an interviewee by you know trying to get them to do an interview with me at like 3 a.m in the morning when i'm actually available uh so it's just going to be me today and to remedy that and to hopefully make it interesting i put out a few tweets and a few announcements in our discord that i was doing a q a we're going to do some questions and answering of said questions today and i have a lot of questions that you guys have sent me i think we have 25 to burn through today and they're pretty uh, i would say there's a good variety there uh we have some questions about kitsch my oc questions about my experience with roleplay, questions about uh, headcanons, and all sorts of fun stuff. So hopefully you guys find that interesting today. I'm going to have a lot of fun answering them. And then post Q&A, we're going to be having our roleplay spot of the week. And then as promised in episode five, I'm going to give you guys your month at a glance for the month of July 2021. Pride Month is unfortunately over, but there's still a lot of colorful, fun stuff happening in the World of Warcraft roleplay community for this month, and I'm hoping to give you guys the one where and what. There's really nothing else I can think of to bore you with as far as introductory notes, so honestly, let's just hop right into the Q&A, shall we? Uh, I'm gonna start on Twitter, because uh, I will say that a lot less people responded to my tweet than in the Discord, so I'm gonna respond with these first, and uh, then we'll move into the Discord, because there's like 20 plus questions in there to answer. So starting with uh, a tweet from Lucifiel. And they're asking, what is your, uh, what was your biggest hurdle getting into roleplay in WoW? Um, I like this question because I get to talk about, uh, you know, my past with roleplay. Uh, I would say that my biggest hurdle would probably be finding the guild that was right for me. Um, a creative space that was willing to hear the stories that I wanted to tell. The first guild that I joined on the Moonguard roleplay server, uh, for all intents and purposes, is not a guild that I would even consider uh, setting foot into today. Their environment was incredibly toxic. Um, I'll, you know, I'll give you some examples. Um, they didn't want gnomes or dwarves or pandaren um, or like any of the they called them like gimmick races. They wanted like humans and Draenei and like all of the ones that could be taken seriously, quote unquote. So I immediately had to like, you know, remedy my character to be less comedic. Um, and I felt like my creative liberties were limited. And they also had a ridiculous activity quota. And um, 
they had like scales. Like if you didn't attend two events, you were in like the red zone. And then like, if you didn't attend the next one, it was like critical zone where like they would pull you into a chat room and ask you about your dedication to the guild. And at the time I was like, oh yeah, this is World of Warcraft roleplay. This is the best of what World of Warcraft roleplay has to offer. I love World of Warcraft roleplay. Um, but now, you know, almost four years, five years in the future, I look back on that and I'm like, oh no, baby, sweetie, baby, no, that's horrible. Don't do that to yourself. So my first guild was disastrous and it drove me to the point where I eventually left and started my own guild. Um, so that was probably my biggest obstacle, um, and I think it's a lot of people's biggest obstacle is finding a group of people that they really enjoy role-playing with and who are receptive to the stories that they want to tell. Um, so I'll put a cap on that question. That was my biggest hurdle, was, was my guild. Uh, moving on, uh, Zippiner the dog, or Zippiner, excuse me, Zippiner is a dog on Twitter asks, uh, they said, my apologies if this has been answered before, but how do you feel about communication around roleplay? Do you feel like we could all use some work? What are your expectations when starting long-term RP commitments versus short interactions? And then as a footnote, they said, how do you set boundaries in writing? Uh, this is definitely a multifaceted question. Uh, so I'm going to try and answer it kind of question by question. I, I love the question um, and I feel like it's a really important one for me to answer. So we'll start with uh, how do I feel about communication around roleplay? I think with communication, um, you can, how can I say it? You can roleplay without communication, but at that point you're not telling a story. You're just roleplaying with yourself and that is not fun. Um, and it's not fun for the other person, and for all intents and purposes, uh, you should be communicating with the other because you care just as much about the story that they're telling, if not more about the story that they're telling, than the story that you're telling. Uh, collaboration is key, and letting your partner know, you know, all of the things that you want to happen, um, and how to tie it in with the things that they want to happen with their character, you can create a lot of fascinating story points. Um, and it really is just as easy as reaching out and saying, hey, I think your character could be a great engine for this new development that I want to happen in my character's storyline. So let's communicate, big word, communicate on a way to make that happen. Uh, so I think communication is uh, a huge part of roleplay. Uh, again, if you're not communicating, you're, you're just roleplaying with yourself. The next part of this question, do you feel like we could all use some work? Um, as far as the communication, I absolutely think so. I don't think there is ever going to be a time as a role player where you reach a point where you're the best at communication, where you can never improve yourself. I think, uh, just speaking from personal experience, I am constantly learning new ways that I can uh, collaborate with role players, set boundaries, talk about uh, how we can make things happen in a comfortable and artistic way. And uh, I think it's great. I think having the mindset of I'm always improving uh, makes new revelations about communication a little bit easier to digest. And then the next question, what are your expectations when starting long-term roleplay commitments versus short interactions? And uh, how I'll approach this question, this answer rather, is that whenever I start a roleplay with someone, I never expect that it's going to be long-term. Um, I think that it's, you know, fine if I reach out to someone 
prior, I've never done this, but I, I could see myself doing this where I reach out to someone and say, hey, I would love to build a really long-term story with your character. But I think for me, the problem with that is once I put the expectation of, oh, me and this character are intertwined at the soul, you know, we're going to be together until the end. Um, it puts a lot more weight on your interactions, and at least for me, it makes me feel like I have to make each interaction far more significant. Um, so I prefer to never uh, kind of put a frame around it. I'm like, oh, this could be a one-off interaction. Maybe this becomes Kitch's best friend or one of my OC's best friends. And I think the connections that have blossomed into long-term connections uh, definitely started out as, oh, this is just a one-off interaction. And the final part of this question, how do you set boundaries in writing? I set boundaries in writing by, I, I'm kind of the worst, I will let people, you know, roleplay in the way that they want to roleplay, and then if something uncomfortable happens, then I'll tell them about it. I feel like I should be more responsible about, at the very beginning, telling people themes that, you know, I might not be comfortable with. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. I set boundaries by letting my boundaries be crossed and then letting someone know when they've crossed my boundary. Um, because I feel like, you know, it's starting with setting the boundary for me. It's just a little awkward for me. I know a lot of people do it in really great, uh, well thought out and eloquent ways. I definitely need to learn from that. But as far as setting boundaries, that's kind of how I do it. Um, and on the flip side of this question, I'm always extremely receptive to other people's boundaries. Um, I'm totally fine if someone uh, approaches me and said, hey, uh, this thing that your character said or did made me kind of uncomfortable. I, you know, am immediately receptive to that. I, you know, the last thing I want to do is make someone uncomfortable. And whenever I do guild stuff from here on out, uh, I intend to kind of put announcements out and content warnings about like, hey, this event will include X, Y, and Z. Uh, if you really want to attend this event, but you're not comfortable with that theme, let me know and I can find a way to cut it out so you can come on in and enjoy this story. I think this ties in really well with the communication question. You have to be receptive to what other people uh, are comfortable with, what they're not comfortable with, if you intend to tell a good story where everyone is having a good time. And then the last question here on Twitter comes from Time Doodles. They said, can I hug Kitsch? Asking for a very tall, very buff, eight foot six blue elf friend. And the answer is uh, absolutely yes. Uh, from an out of character perspective, hug Kitsch all that you want. However, um, Kitsch will become very uncomfortable and very squirmy. <laughs> he does not like being embraced. I think the only person that he's ever been like, yeah, fine, you can hug me once was his friend Hydra, um, and that was like a very short one-off thing where he was like, okay, that's it, you never gonna, <laughs> you never gonna do that again, enjoy it while it lasted. Um, so an answer is yes, but no. And now crossing the threshold into the Discord, the uh, Live from Moldaware Discord, all of the questions that we have in here, let's answer some of those. Uh, you guys went kind of uh, X Games mode with this, and I had to pin quite a few questions that I liked, so I'm kind of just going to answer these at random. Let's see. Let's start with this one. Failsave asks, why do you roleplay? Uh, and I love that question. It's a great broad question for me to answer. Before we get too deep into the kitsch lore, as I know many of you have asked questions about, um, but I roleplay for the same reason that a lot of other people roleplay. Uh, you know, my real life this last year has been very, very uh, status quo. It's not been very interesting. Um, and as much as I love, you know, 
the people that I'm surrounded with in real life, I find such a fascination with imaginary people and, you know, getting to put myself in someone else's shoes and tell a story. And along with that, it all ties back to the fact that I am a huge theater kid. Um, I did theater from middle school, even before that with like church pageants and stuff, um, all the way through like my first year of college. Uh, and now I'm going back to school for science because I realize that theater isn't like my career thing. So, you know, theater obviously is pretending to be someone that you're not. Um, but all of my theater directors and professors that I've had in the past have taught me such a great wealth about understanding every side of a character. And what I love so much about Kitsch is that I'm writing the script as I go, as is everyone who roleplays. You know, we don't have a preset list of dialogue that we get, we create it. And the thing with theater that I always found frustrating is I had to look at what someone else had already written and then try to deconstruct the character based on, uh, you know, what was the director thinking that the character was thinking. Whereas in roleplay, I have the unique opportunity to say, I know what my character is thinking, this is the dialogue, and let's build a script together. So it all feels like a big play to me. Um, and I love it. It's just so much fun. And I personally think that this will be something that I do probably until I die or elsewhere. Zale asks, does Kitsch have any named relatives? Same model, run, etc. No, I would say Kitsch does not have any relatives simply because he's been so uh, augmented. Uh, for people who don't know Kitsch's story very well, he was a Titanforged Mechanome that looked exactly like all of the other Titanforged Mechanomes, and then during the Siege of Ulduar, his gyrocopter crashed and he got blown apart. Um, someone found him, someone repaired him, and someone set him loose. Uh, and now he looks completely different, but he still has like the Titan code. So when Kitsch was a Titanforged Mechanome in Ulduar, his siblings slash, you know, the other models that he shared were all of the Mechanomes. He shared similarity with every single one of them because they're just this absolute legion of machines that are supposed to be like-minded. Um, but ever since then, uh, Kitsch has not shared any uh, relatives. Not that it's really a spoiler, but I have headcanon that Kitsch is in fact one of a kind. His mysterious remaker didn't make another version of him. Kitsch is Kitsch. He's the only one. He's the one and only. Next question comes from Irida, Iridacier, and they asked, is Kitsch capable of romantic feelings? Uh, no, he is not capable of romantic feelings. He is, uh, I would say asexual, um, but mostly he's just a robot and uh, simulating romance is not only very strenuous, but uh, you know, why would he want to is, is his opinion on things. He thinks that romance is complicated and messy and frustrating and he doesn't really feel the need to try and simulate a feeling like that that's so complex and uh, multifaceted. He, he just kind of wants to keep things simple. So I would say Kitsch could experience romantic feelings if he wanted to. Uh, he would have to build a simulation for it, but until that time comes, he is uh, incapable of feeling any romantic attraction. Uh, another question from Iridaceae, they asked, how does Kitsch adapt to other cultures? Uh, a good question, for sure. Kitsch is, uh, he is a cultural observationalist, uh, and I would say that as of the present, that's kind of his hobby, but when he first set out from Ulduar, he kind of, uh, 
was trying to tell himself a lie. He was saying, oh, you know, I'm still very much a Titan-forged mechanome from Ulduar. Oh, but I've been sent on cultural observation by Mimiron, uh, and that's why, you know, I'm not allowed to go back until my mission is complete. Uh, and he lied to himself for a very, very long time. But because of that lie, Kitsch was able to engage with numerous different cultures and numerous different peoples, and he was able to study them, study how people and humans interact, and he really has quite enjoyed it. As far as the question at hand, how does he interact with other cultures, I would say that he really just kind of observes. He's always been an observationalist. He's never someone who's going to change the way that he behaves to adapt to a setting. Uh, he's very stubborn in that sense. Uh, so he really doesn't adapt to cultures. He'll more so sit on the sidelines and appreciate how different that culture is from himself. And because of that, you know, unwillingness to adapt, he often finds himself on the exterior of many social groups. Um, so that's kind of been an interesting thing to roleplay. And uh, I did, I like that question. Thanks for asking it. Irish Moo, uh, someone that we interviewed prior in episode four, asks, is cereal a soup? Um, I would say cereal is a dessert soup if that makes sense. It's a it's a sweet soup. It has all of the, you know, physical properties of what makes up a soup. It has the broth, you know, it has the um, the chunks, as we as we clearly know. And uh, a soup is not defined necessarily by its ingredients, but those two factors, the liquid and the solid. So I'm going to say uh, absolutely cereal is absolutely a soup. However, it is uh, footnote a dessert soup. Zale, another person that we've interviewed on the show, asked, how old is Kitsch? Uh, and this one, I will admit, I had to look up some lore prior to answering because uh, I know that Kitsch was created as kind of the second wave of mechanomes to help uh, construct Ulduar. Uh, in lore, we know that a huge swath of mechanomes were sent from Ulduar to Ulduman uh, to kind of keep watch over that Titan facility, and then the gnomes of Ulduman uh, then were corrupted by the Curse of Flesh. So Kitsch, luckily, was not that group. He was the second group that they built to reinforce uh, the construction of Ulduar, and he... I guess according to that timeline would have also been one of the mechanomes that tried to save Mimiron after the attempted murder. So he, he's very, very old. You know, there's not a specific date on Ulduar. Unfortunately, we know it is uh, terribly ancient. Um, so Kitsch is as old as Ulduar, if not older than Ulduar, because he helped build it. Beak in the Discord asked, if Kitsch wasn't a gnome or mechanome, what other race would you want him to be or could imagine him being? He seems like he could fit as a cool dark iron dwarf. Uh, you're absolutely right, and it's funny, you kind of answered the question for me. Kitsch being so deeply entrenched in engineering, I think, would fit well as a dark iron dwarf. Uh, he very much enjoys the nitty gritty of, you know, mining and, you know, harvesting minerals and creating engineering products. So I could definitely see him as a dark iron dwarf, but I could also see him as a more philosophical race. Ironically, I could see him as like probably like a void elf, honestly. I think that Kitsch is kind of shrewd enough and keen enough that he would share a lot of qualities with the void elves. Um, so I could see him as that race as well. Uh, but for now, he's just gonna stay as a good old mechanome. Volhelion in the Discord asked, if Kitsch could have his way with no struggle, how would Kitsch ideally want to be perceived by others? 
this is actually something that Kitsch thinks about a lot. He is kind of a freak about observation, and he wants people to see him in a very specific way. Um, that's honestly why he doesn't talk a lot in group interactions, because Kitsch wants to be... <laughs> this sounds horrible, but it, you know, is, is his character. Kitsch wants to be seen as smarter than everyone else. Um, he wants to be seen as a superior intelligence. So whenever he does talk, it's always after a great deal of calculation because he very rarely misspeaks. I don't think there's ever, I think there might be two occasions on hand that I can think of in a conversation where Kitsch was like, okay, yeah, maybe I, maybe I misspoke. You're right. But that's a very rare occasion. He is of the mindset that he's never wrong. And because of that, uh, the way that he wants to be perceived is very egotistical but not egotistical in the way that he needs other people to see him that way. It's not something that he, you know, suffers over. Uh, he doesn't constantly beat himself over the head because XYZ didn't see him as a superior intellect today, wimp womp. Uh, rather, it's just something that he takes steady care and uh, takes steady steps to ensure. Uh, he just wants to be seen as the smarticle particle of your Dungeons and Dragons party. A question from Chroma Draco, they asked, what is Kitch's favorite race to interact with? What does he think about goblins? And what is your favorite race to be and why? Uh, so another three-parter, let's start with the first one. What is Kitch's favorite race to interact with? Um, a few people know this, but Kitch has a weird obsession with the Tuscar. There was a point where a Mechagonian aerial unit crashed in Northrend, and Kitch went to go and retrieve it, and in the process of doing so, he discovered the Tuscar and their culture, and he finds them so interesting. Um, in the worst way possible, he looks at them kind of as like a little ant farm that he keeps on his desk, because uh, he's like, oh cute, they put their boat on the back of a turtle and put a carrot in front of it so it swims. That's so awesome. That's so cute. And he's he's also very protective of the Tuscar. I had canon that he's fought off a few invasions for them and then mysteriously flown off into the distance so, you know, no one knew it was him. Uh, he, he really just loves the Tuscar and I don't know why. I don't know why that is such a funny thing to me, but that's just him. And they ask, what does he think about goblins? I've said this before, Kitsch, in an engineering perspective, actually prefers goblins to gnomes. And the reason why is because goblins understand budget and they understand efficiency. They understand that, you know, if they're going to build something without the coin to do it, they need to cut corners, they need to, you know, come up with newfangled ways to achieve a concept, and Kitsch has a great admiration for that. And naturally, Kitsch being a siege master by trade and someone who likes to blow things up, uh, he loves goblins because they also love to blow things up. The last part of this question, uh, what's my favorite race to be? Aside from Mechanomes, I really, really love the Calderai. I think they're a wonderful race with a great story, and recently they've had a great deal of suffering that they've had to deal with, and I think it's been a really great catalyst for a lot of good storytelling. Uh, my second main OC after uh, my male human warrior was a Calderai by the name of Tarconis Whiteleaf, and he was my guildmaster tune for a long time. And I really enjoyed, you know, all of the philosophical and druidic stories that I could tell with him. Uh, and I would definitely uh, tell another Calderai story in the future. A question from Failsafe, they ask, how does Kitsch view morality? Uh, Kitsch is the definition of a morally gray character. 
Um, he views morality kind of in the grand scheme of his mathematical religion. Um, there's a concept that he believes in called the Great Equation. Uh, he believes that every factor in the world is a variable in this huge, complex uh, fraction. And as, you know, beings come into creation, as they're destroyed by other beings, the fraction is further simplified as the universe between, you know, arcane, fell, void, and light struggles toward equilibrium. And he believes that the only way to achieve equilibrium is to act in your own interest. Uh, because he believes that there is no higher power. There's only the equation. There's only logic. So he views morality kind of wish-washy. If he needs to, you know, destroy a village someday because they're on top of a titan relic that he wants, uh, he'll do it because he believes that he's simplifying the equation by pursuing his personal gain. Uh, but if he feels like he needs to help someone out someday, maybe they're in a bit of trouble, uh, maybe they need to be saved, he'll do that too because maybe that person wasn't meant to be simplified quite yet. And again, very egotistically, uh, Kitsch kind of determines who, who needs simplifying and who doesn't need simplifying, uh, aka murder, uh, kind of on the fly, so anything goes for him. Selfina asks, Isn't it freeing replacing your parts with the ones of your own choosing, or do you find it to be a hassle? Uh, personally, you know, I love the fact that I was able to give away all of my limbs and replace them for mechanical ones. Uh, I think that my romantic prospects in real life are a little intimidated by the fact that I have, like, built-in lasers in my wrists, but, like, that's their problem and, like, not my problem. You know, if you can't handle me at my worst, uh, you can't handle me at my cyborg. So, you know, that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, and I really have enjoyed it and I, I continue to pursue uh, total mechanization. Valhallian asks, does Kitsch have any pet peeves? He absolutely does, and a lot of them are centered around uh, ego. Uh, Kitsch has a really big ego, but he is careful not to constantly be badgering it over other people's heads. Uh, he doesn't really talk to people about like, oh wow, I have the biggest brain in the world and yours is so tiny. So when he meets someone else who's like that, he immediately just hates them. Uh, hate is a strong word, he usually doesn't simulate hate, but in that instance, he might try to simulate hatred for someone who just is the absolute most insufferable egomaniac. Um, because he thinks that it's it's fine to have ego, but if you're constantly telling people about it, it's gross. So that's one of his pet peeves. Another one is when people mistake him for an organic gnome. Um, there have been plenty of occasions where people will be like, oh, cool suit, bro. And Kitch is like, no, this is in fact my actual body. Um, please never say that to me again. Uh, and also more instances where people will offer him like food or drink. And he's like, um, do you see a mouth? on this faceplate right now? The answer is no. So why would you, you know, he gets, he gets really frustrated about that. He does not like being associated with the curse of flesh in any way, shape, or form. So whenever someone in any way mistakes him for an actual real life flesh and blood gnome, he gets a little frustrated, but it's not something that he's gonna be like, hey, you made me mad. It's just something that is a, a pet peeve. Irish Moo asks, favorite plot you've been involved in? Uh, and I love this question because I finally get to talk about another character who's not Kitsch. Um, when I played Tarconis quite a bit, there was a storyline that a friend of mine, Alphendale, wrote. Basically, they had written a story where our party comes into contact with a ch the child of, you know, a, a Calderai. It's a ghost, a ghost child. 
and you know they are mischievous and they put a bunch of obstacles in our way and this this and that and they're causing just a great deal of chaos and destruction because you know they died and now they're a ghost and they're confused but they have such a great deal of power with them so our party was sent in to try and stop them assuming this was like a malicious horrible entity that wished nothing but destruction but then they're encountered with this child xander who is just terribly sad and terribly confused so immediately we have to switch gears from you know how do we save our island and this portion of the island without bringing further destruction to this child's soul that's just looking for happiness. And the way that this campaign concluded still makes me smile to this day. Basically, the child was like, hey, all of you, I want you to put on like a little show for me. Um, and he would like point to people and he'd be like, you're gonna play this character and you're gonna play the Lich King and you're gonna play this character. And like, um, we all had to play pretend for Xander and you know, it made Xander laugh and he had a great time and it was just such a beautiful story. And at the end of it, Xander had to ascend and had to finally leave. And it was genuinely a moment where I was left just in tears because I had grown such an attachment to the character. And I don't think I've ever been in a campaign since that was just so emotionally heart-wrenching with so much emotional whiplash. So props to my friend uh, Alphendale, they really knocked it out of the park. That is probably my favorite plot that I've ever been involved in. Hazeli asks, this might be a weird slash long one, but how was the process of creating Kitsch? Like, what made you want to make him an automaton? How did you come up with his combustion system? Why the four eyes? All that stuff. And I love this question because um, I get to kind of pull back the curtain. <laughs> Kitsch uh, originally was a campaign NPC, and uh, I described him as just a normal looking, you know, Titanforged Mechanome. Um, but then I retconned him to look, you know, the way he does now, because obviously doing the prism roleplay at the time for me wasn't very convenient, and also the toy that turns you into a Titanforged Mechanome is inconsistent and you never get the same model, so I was like, well okay, we'll just find a mog that looks somewhat robotic and call that Kitsch. So Kitsch has been very, uh, he's been based on the mog, the the combatants, uh, the gladiator mog that I use with the blue cowl and all of the mechanical bits, all of his inner workings have been based on that mog. And, you know, you ask, you know, why the four eyes? It's because the helmet has four eyes. And I was like, okay, well, Kitsch will have four eyes because he thinks four eyes are better than two. And, you know, then it was just kind of fun from there. I got to look at all of the small details on the mog and say, oh, uh, these shoulder pieces that kind of look like little bullets stuck inside of a canister. Uh, those are going to be kind of like the whistling birds from Mandalorian, and he can he can activate them and send them shooting out at all of these NPC enemies and, and kill them in, in one shot. That would be super cool, but it's like a one-time use weapon. So, you know, that was really fun. And then I got to say, oh, you know, this detail on his uh, rope here, this is the opening where you can find his core. Oh, this detail on his faceplate, you know, that's where you can find this, this, and that. Um, so it is all very built around that transmog. Uh, it hasn't changed since, you know, Kitsch started. It, it's been the same transmog over all of these expansions. Uh, so it's been really fun kind of building it. And the way that I decided to make him an automaton, kind of rewinding, uh, when I conceptualized the character, I started with Titanforged Mechanome. And so he was already an automaton uh, when I started conceptualizing him. Uh, he didn't kind of grow into an automaton. He was always that. 
But you know, huge props to Olduar for making me want to make an entire OC just based off of some mechanome mobs. And I'm going to answer Hazeli's next question because it ties in pretty well with this. Uh, why does Kitch refuse to change his original chassis? Again, it's all very based around the Mog out of character. There, I've, I've searched and I've suffered trying to find a transmog for Kitch that speaks to his character. Um, but I haven't been able to find one. I've just kind of been stuck with the one that he has right now But I love that mog it gets everything across so in character I was like I have to come up with a reason for why Kitch has looked the same over so many years and the answer is kind of sad Kitch does not know the individual that rebuilt him after his gyrocopter crash. He was rebooted um, kind of in a random mountain range in Kalimdor, and he has no idea who rebuilt him, who saved him. And Kitch has this looming paranoia that if he was to augment himself too much, uh, his remaker would not recognize him if they were ever to cross paths. As much as he hates his remaker for what they did to Kitch, you know, making him look you know, like this weird, not Titan-forged mechanome, mechanome. Uh, he still wants to meet them, and he wants to know them, uh, but he also wants to kill them, so, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, and he's afraid that he wouldn't be able to have that opportunity if he just looked different. Uh, he's had every opportunity to retake his Titan-forged look. Um, you know, there's Titan-forged mechanomes all over Azeroth, and he could easily just strip their parts and, you know, make himself look like one again. But he's worried that if he did that, he wouldn't really be able to be recognized. He'd fall back into the legion of mechanomes that all look like him. Uh, so in a way, he kind of likes individuality as much as he states that he hates individuality. Um, he's been like, oh yeah, you know, this is kind of cool. I like, I like looking different than everyone else. Zale asks, if you could go back and change any decision Kitch has made or action he's taken, what would you have him do differently? Uh, this is a really interesting question, because I think in character, Kitch believes that everything he's done, despite their negative consequences, have all been in pursuit of the great simplification, of the great equation. Uh, he wouldn't do anything differently, but me, out of character, I probably would have thrown Kitch into society a little bit earlier than I did. Uh, Kitch was kind of my guilty pleasure character for a very long time, uh, because at the time, mechanomes were considered a non-playable race. We weren't in BFA, we were well into Legion, so, you know, mechanomes weren't even on the table. People didn't think they'd be coming for a long time. So the concept of a Titan-forged mechanome, uh, a race that we still don't have, uh, people, I was afraid people would not receive that well, and kind of like my first guild, they kind of put that paranoia into me that, oh, people don't want to roleplay with non-playable races. Uh, so I, I, I kind of wish that I could have superseded that anxiety a little bit earlier and had Kitch make connections earlier because I think that would have been a lot of fun and I could have met a lot of great people. Irida asks, and obviously I gotta ask your top three hottest WoW characters. Uh, this is a really simple one. At the top we have General Draven from the Venthyr questline. In the middle we have Archimond, uh, the one and only Lieutenant of the Legion. And uh, at the end we have Illidan, Illidan Stormrage. Uh, I think the common thread between all three of these characters is that they have uh, kind of uh, pectoral windows in their armor. Uh, Archimond literally wears male body jewelry, so that's super great. And uh, none of them are wearing shirts, so obviously that's 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 the appeal. Uh, you know, big muscular monster men. Um, I am not going to openly admit that I'm a monster fucker, but you know, 
that wouldn't be the worst thing, you know? As far as the stuff I've seen in the WoW community, y'all can't get on to me. Uh, so yeah, it's gonna be Archimonde, uh, General Draven, Illidan. Those are my top three. Just KK asks, one random fact about Kitsch that you rarely or never get to talk about, but still find interesting. Uh, I would probably say EMB, the external memory bank, the little titan orb that follows Kitsch around wherever he goes. Um, you know, it, it's not something that people ask about a lot. If there's someone who's never seen technology before, sometimes they'll be like, what is that? And Kitsch will give a very simplified, you know, surface level answer. But EMB is actually a huge part of Kitsch's story. Uh, because when Kitsch awoke after being reconstructed by this mysterious person, the only remnant of being a Titanforged being was this Titanforged databank that proclaimed itself to be his companion. So EMB and Kitsch have been together since the very beginning. And EMB is a perfect copy of Kitsch. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain. Imagine Kitsch is a file on your computer inside of the folder, the folder being Kitsch's body. Um, basically what EMB is, is a copy-paste of the file, but in a differently shaped folder, which is the Titanforged databank. Uh, so EMB is kitsch, and they have really great conversations because they agree on everything. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of what EMB is. And in the event that kitsch uh, dies, EMB has proclaimed that their purpose is to be kitsch's backup slash failsafe. Uh, but it's important to know that EMB is a female presenting voice, um, so if Kitsch ever were to die slash be destroyed, uh, he would be reincarnated as, I guess, uh, a female version of himself, which is EMB, sharing all of the same, you know, opinions and memories and thoughts and thought processes, but, you know, it would just be a different, uh, different gender presentation, I guess. So that's kind of a fun thing I like talking to, uh, people about. It's something I don't really get to talk about, so I appreciate you asking that question. And now that it's been like three hours and 27 million minutes, uh, that's all of the question and answers that I was able to find. Uh, if you didn't uh, get your question answered today, that's because you didn't ask it. I answered all the questions. So uh, if you want to get it answered next time that I inevitably do this little segment, be sure to uh, leave a little comment in the question and answers room in our Discord, the Live from Old War Discord, and I'll be sure to give you my insight. Uh, thanks for listening to me on all of these weird little... Uh, I don't know, I'd call it a smorgasbord of like of, of topics, uh, none of which really related to the other that broadly, but I'm glad that you're still here, you know? Uh, so, so thanks for listening. We're going to move to the latter portion of our episode today, uh, which is going to be the roleplay spot of the day and your month at a glance. Uh, give me a second. I'm going to go get a drink of water and uh, I'll let the robot voice say something or whatever. Bye-bye. Uh, Initiating filler text protocol. If you would like to keep up with Kitsch Goldwatt on social media, his Twitter will be linked in the episode description. Once again, an enormous thank you to all of you for submitting your great Q&A questions. We had quite a variety there, and I enjoyed answering them. Hope you don't think I'm, uh, weird now. Uh, that would be unfortunate, but to be fair, you asked the questions, and uh, I gave the answers, so, you know. That's just the way of the world. Uh, we're going to move into the latter portion of our episode now, which is, of course, the roleplay spot of the week. 
and your month at a glance. And I'm going to try and get through them a little bit quicker than usual. I'm actually recording this on the 4th of July, and I have family downstairs doing a fish fry. And, you know, we have fruit kebabs and a bunch of great stuff, and I'm missing it right now because I am upstairs, tucked away in my closet, talking about World of Warcraft roleplay. But I am loyal to you, the listener, and uh, I'll be damned if I don't get out an, uh, an episode every single Tuesday. So we're going to do this. Uh, getting into the roleplay spot of the week that is coming to you once again from Pandaria. I've been trying to cover a lot of different genres of roleplay spots. I think we've had, you know, Peaceful Farm, uh, Submarine, and, you know, Gnomish, and a, lo a lot of fun little hidden spots. So I kind of wanted to go into, like, the military route today, more specifically, like, the naval nautical route that I feel like is a little bit more of a niche RP. So that spot is at coordinates 5929 in the Jade Forest, and the location is uh, five ships, three of them being horde ships of the uh, updated Cataclysm model, which is the single floor horde ship with a lot of metal spikes and the red sails, and then there are two alliance ships, which are the also the updated Cataclysm model with the, uh, the metal bird at the front of it with all the great big cannons on all sides. So two great updated models, and there are five ships in total, so if you're looking for any faction-related conflict, or if you're just looking to, you know, pretend that the ships aren't there <laughs> of the other faction and just use one of them, it's a great spot for either. And it is a rare location where... Uh, a lot of ships are close together and none of them are fatigued um, because there's some situations where you are on a ship in the middle of the ocean, but the developers kind of forgot that fatigue happens. So while you're standing on the ship, uh, you slowly die from fatigue. But this is not one of those locations. You can be on all parts of all ships and not suffer fatigue. Uh, there are zero NPCs. The only trade-off is that I would say these ships are a little bit emptier than some of the more developed ships. There's no furniture aside from like a few stools and uh, the cannons so you kind of just have to imagine a lot of it yourself but if you're looking to use you know the decks of ships there's a lot of great deck space for any type of naval rp that you're looking for on both the horde and the alliance ships or if you're looking for maybe some fleet battle role play some expedition role play really the uses are quite endless if they involve ships and uh, there really are not a great uh, many areas to do naval roleplay, just because some of the locations of NBCs, and again, the fatigue issue. But this is kind of a nice little Goldilocks area, so I hope you guys get some use out of it. Again, the location is coordinates 5929 in the Jade Forest. And to finish off our episode, your month at a glance, a segment that we do at the end of our show, where I give you guys three events happening this month that you can go to, and then the next event I'll give you three more events. So the ones happening between now and kind of the end of July, we have the first one, which is Shadow Sands Bazaar, the second one, which is the Cosmic Academy Night of Magical Mystique, and then the third one, which is the Azerothian Culture Festival. So the great little variety of events here, and of course we're going to start with the Shadow Sands Bazaar. That is happening on July 9th from 8 to 10 p.m. Moonguard time. And that is happening in the Lost City of Tolvir in Oldham. I've actually been to this event before. I've vended on Kitsch. Uh, so I would describe it as kind of a, a less savory but still desired uh, wares market. So you're going to find a lot of sketchy stuff there that you probably wouldn't see at your usual Orgrimmar market or Silver Moon market or Stormwind market. Uh, generally things that might be frowned upon in kind of a more public setting. Uh, of course that does come with kind of an NSFW 18 plus tag, so miners please do not attend. Um, and they've got a lot of shadowy organizations doing a lot of fun stuff like mercenary work and cults and 
just a, a great swath of sketchy stuff. If you need some sketchy stuff, uh, head on over to the Shadow Sands Bazaar. Like I said, I've vended there before. It's a great experience. The coordinators make it very, very easy to sign up for booths, and they also, you know, give you a whole map of the market so you know where you're going. Uh, I had a great time. I hope you guys have a great time. Again, that is the Shadow Sands Bazaar happening July 9th from 8 to 10 p.m. Moonguard time. Up next, the Cosmic Academy presents A Night of Magical Mystique, and that is happening on July 10th from 6 to 8 p.m. Wormrest Accord, or 8 to 10 p.m. Moonguard time, and that is happening at the Star Lake Amphitheater in Ardenweald, which is a great location that I'm so excited people are using. Uh, and this is kind of a magic show slash showcase event. Uh, the way that they've described it is they have students from the academy and, you know, their teachers showing off kind of what they've learned together. Uh, it kind of reminds me when I used to do, like, summer theater camp, and at the end we'd have this huge showcase where we'd show our parents, like, what we learned. So it, it's that kind of a thing for sure, and I'm guessing it's going to be a lot of bright colors and, and illusions, and it should be a really great time. And they're going to have some food and drinks served by the Blackbird Brewery, which is a group that I've seen around as far as vending goes. So it should be a really great night. It's kind of enigmatic as far as the details that they're giving. But again, that's the Night of Magical Mystique on July 10th from 6 to 8 Wormrest Accord or from 8 to 10 Moonguard, Starlake Amphitheater in Ardenweald. It's going to be a cool magic show. That's about the gist of it. And then lastly, we have another event hosted by the wonderful Cast Company, and that is the Azeroth Culture Fest, which is happening at the end of the month, July 30th, from 8 to 11 Moonguard time, or from 6 to 9 p.m. Wormrest Accord time. And they're going to have entertainment by No Fox Given, which is a clever little pun if I've ever heard one. And uh, it's going to be a market event. If you've never been to the Azeroth Culture Fest, it is kind of a uh, event where they have market booths from every culture and tradition from across the globe, and you know maybe even from different planets. And uh, it's a great time. They have a lot of great people doing pretty unique booths and. Uh, they're kind of similar to JeevesCon. It's one of those events where you kind of get to make it whatever you want it to be. They'll have activities. They'll have just a lot of great places to hang out and meet people. So overall, it should be a fun time. Uh, the cast company is known to put on some wonderful events. I've never been upset with an event that I've attended from them. Uh, so I would encourage you to go and see it. I know that I'm certainly going to try and make it myself. That concludes this episode's month at a glance. Uh, again, next episode, I'm going to give you guys three more events that you can go to, you know, kind of when we get closer to events, people advertise them more. So I wasn't able to find a lot in the month of July happening. Uh, I, I'm probably not going to advertise a lot of recurring events in this podcast. I kind of want to focus more on the one-time things that you can only catch maybe uh, once a year or, you know, once every few months. So that's kind of what we're going with. And uh, hopefully we get some more events happening in July. It feels like a very quiet month as far as the recurring events. So uh, it's a great time, better time than ever. If you have an event that you want to plan, July might be the month for you. So uh, give it a go. If you want me to feature it on the show, just let me know and, and we'll make that happen. And that really concludes our episode, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I know it wasn't really a uh, traditional Live from Ulduar episode as far as the structure goes. You know, we didn't have an interview this week, but uh, next week with episode 7, we're going to get right back on the horse. We're going to have someone on the show talking about some great stuff. I think next episode I'm looking at doing uh, kind of a focused piece on people who are new to roleplay and kind of a beginner's guide to roleplay, and we're going to have a great guest on who's fairly new to the roleplay community, and we're going to talk about some great stuff, so I'm super pumped about that. Uh, as I always say, please join the Live from Moldovar Discord. We're super fun and super cool, and you'll get episodes a day early for now. Uh, I think that I'm working on a Patreon, so uh, it might become a Patreon exclusive to get episodes a day early, so I would encourage you to catch day early episodes while they're free. Um, or if you want to support me too, that's cool, that's cool. 
This, of course, has been your mechanized host, Kitch Goldwatt. Thank you for joining me here in the depths of Ulduar, and we'll see you next week.